Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Need to Know. Real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the US, Bryce Zabel. Hello and welcome to Need to Know. I'm Ross Coulthard in Australia, back from an absolutely frantic road trip around the continental USA with my sidekick and co-host, Bryce Zabel in Los Angeles. G'day, Bryce. Hey, good day, Roscoe. That was really uh, not only fun, but uh, I thought we covered some really great territory. And I'm, I'm extremely excited to show that to the people in the next few weeks. Can I confess the one thing I'm not excited about is what you Americans do to people on domestic airlines? I, I just cannot believe how they squash people into your airlines in continental USA. Well, now, we need to make one thing very clear. Me, I'm not responsible for American Airlines any more than you're responsible for kangaroos being in the road. So oh, uh, we're just going to have to let that one fly or lie. Now, as you and I both know, Bryce, it has been a momentous, absolutely momentous month, both in general UAP news, but also in things that you and I have been digging into. And I'm really excited because probably in about two weeks' time, I'll be bringing a major new documentary to Australian television, which will be released internationally, which features some of your and my interviews with people that we've been doing here in the United, in the United States with you. Um, and uh, I'm also really excited. I think this program, we really have to focus on the momentous proposed legislation that is part of the continuing efforts by certain key Congress people and senators to try to ensure that the Pentagon and the intelligence community are held to account on UAPs. I cannot emphasize more how important this new legislation is. It's a cracker. Well, if it, if it passes and it gets through, I mean, this is legislation that the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee, I think, has forwarded uh, for approval in, in its tough new language. I mean, it, we thought last year the language that was uh, put forward was pretty tough. This is, uh, I guess, goes beyond tough to mind-blowing on some of it. I mean, there's talk of uh, going back to 1947 in this language, which, you know, it's just like, let's face it, everyone who's listening to this knows 1947 because we've talked about it so much. It's ground zero for uh, the UFO story. It's when uh, Kenneth Arnold saw his first sighting. It's when Roswell happened a couple of weeks later. It's when the, um, the, the National Security Act was passed. It's when the Air Force uh, became a separate branch of the military. I mean, it's a big, a big deal, and, and it's not coded at all. There it is in the language saying you will go back and talk about that. And there's so much others. I mean, so many other things. Um, just to follow up, though, quickly on what you were saying, I, I just want people to understand how 
we literally got in a car a few weeks ago and started driving around to interview various people who we thought would be very important in helping to lay out this story. So we kind of took a, 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 an extra week off in between our, our shows uh, for good reason, I think, because we were finding some stuff that we'll be able to share with people in longer form over the, the weeks to come. But I just wanted to say thank you to uh, Channel 7 in Australia and yourself, Ross, because it was really a terrific uh, experience to be part of this. And I, and I think when people see uh, your follow-up to that excellent first documentary you had that came out last year, this one will be equally mind-blowing. Look, it's great. I, look, I, I freely admit I'm delighted that a, a major TV network like the Seven Network, which is Australia's number one TV network, is prepared to back an investigation into UAPs. It's only to be applauded. And it's such a rare thing, frankly, in mainstream media. And, and you're right. One of the things that really mattered for me on this trip, Bryce, was not only getting to meet you on in person mm -hmm. properly for the first time, but the ability to actually meet people eye to eye, there's nothing yes. like breaking bread and shaking hands with people. And for me, it was or a at real least turning point. Thing. Yes, right. Yeah, it was a I'll real turning point to be in Washington, D.C., talking yeah. to people. Um, I, I'm quite struck and quite optimistic now, much more optimistic than I was before, that the Congress, the Senate particularly, they've, they've got teeth. They're determined that even though the Pentagon and the intelligence community have been very limp, sluggish, to say the least, in their response to the uh, previous Gillibrand, Rubio, Gallego law, which essentially required them to be really open about UAPs, the um, armed services and the intelligence committees, both in the Senate and the House, they're really going hard with these new legislative requirements that are going to push the defence and intelligence community to really lift their game. I'm one of the, shocked. It is shocking. And one of the things uh, that you and I have been talking about on this uh, program uh, in, in our past episodes has been, what will it take to get witnesses to come forward and how will they be triggered to tell what they know uh, and not be fearful of uh, reprisals by the government or, or anyone? And that seems to be something that the Senate language is addressing. There is an attempt to, to allow people to uh, speak to the Congress uh, about legacy programs in the UFO field and, and not fear that they will be turned on by the government itself. Um, now, well, if that happens, I mean, that is, that is game-changing because uh, for people that have been watching the January 6th committee hearings, you see someone come in and they, they lay out whatever their story is, but then you need to verify the story. So now suddenly a couple of other people are, are being brought in. If that starts to happen in the UFO field, you bring someone in, they testify, and then others are going to say, well, I want to hear more about that or more about that. Suddenly you have snowballing witnesses. And if they're being granted some form of protective immunity, then, then the whole area that we're talking about could go much faster than we think it is. And let me tell you, Bryce, and let me tell our listeners and our viewers, those witnesses are definitely coming. I am now very, very sure that we are going to see key whistleblowers fairly soon talking about legacy programs. Well, now that's interesting. Uh, I, I love how you said that too. Uh, you, you needed to lower your voice and slow down on that one because that I'm is very excited about it. But now yeah. when I, the only question I have for you, um, when you put whistleblowers and legacy in the same uh, sentence, here's my question. 
uh, a whistleblower tends to make me think that there's somebody who's currently involved in government issues regarding UAP. But some of these legacy programs have come and gone, but they themselves prove uh, you know, what, what has been investigated and what's been happening for the past years. Are you suggesting that there are whistleblowers about some of these older programs who would also be coming forward from some of the people you've talked to? What I'm very, very confident about is that there are people who claim to have knowledge of what's really been going on, and I won't say whether they're still serving or not okay. serving, um, who are prepared to come forward. And the reason why they're prepared to come forward is because the legislation that creates a so-called secure system for, for government or ex-government employees, including the military, which allows them to legally report secret UFO data, it's already been approved by the full House of Reps in July. And uh, our good friend, Dean Johnson, who has a fantastic Twitter mm. account that covers this issue, he's explained this. And what's really momentous is that, you know, in America right now, there is so much division between the two major political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats. And yet this was passed without debate and without a roll call vote as an amendment to the Fiscal Year National Defence Authorisation Act. So that was Mike Gallagher, co-sponsored by Ruben Gallagher, Gallagher. And it's really exciting because you've got a bipartisan effort now by the Congress, by the Senate, to basically push this issue through. And the teeth that they're proposing in the new proposed laws to put into the, uh, the legislation, they are, I mean, I'm so excited about it because... Yes, yes, as you say, it, it insists on a, a historical analysis by the GAO, the essentially the government watchdog. The what is it? The government uh, accountability accounting office. And as I understand it, that's quite a tough regulatory oh. oversight agency. It's got real power. But you know, the thing that uh, we we need to triple underline here is in a time where America is about as divided and frankly about as evenly split as it can be politically, here is an issue. One of the few, I can't think of very many others that I can't think of a single one that is this bipartisan um, so far. And if that holds and it does not get turned into a political issue, but becomes this uh, issue that we're bringing. Uh, forward, then then it could go very quickly. I wanted to just, uh, one of our friends is uh, George Knapp, who is also an investigative reporter. And uh, I just saw a quote from him the other day, and I just want to read it to you because he's, he's done so much work on this area. He wrote, it's clear that somebody has been sharing information with Congress members. I can tell for sure that there are people who have met with them and have told them not only that there are these legacy programs that have materials, and by materials, I don't just mean scraps of metal from the ground, but intact craft and remains, physical remains of beings. These stories have been floating around for a long time. I know that there are a couple of people in particular who know about this stuff down to the point of the buildings where the stuff is stashed, who are willing to come forward if they are protected. And now this legislation indicates they will be protected as whistleblowers, that their security clearances will not be revoked. And it's pretty exciting. So thanks to George Knapp for laying that out so clearly. And it's exactly what you're hearing. So that's what I, I think is interesting is this is not just some wild uh, wish from people who, uh, you know, are on UFO Twitter or wherever. Uh, this isn't some wild wish where we're just saying, yeah, I, I think it's really going to happen. These are major people in Washington, D.C. who are saying that not only are they angry about being 
having information withheld, but they're going to do something about it, which is crazy. Now, the other thing, Bryce, that's very exciting is that whatever happens in this legislation, there is now officially a stake through the heart of AOINSG, the ridiculous acronym that was given by the Pentagon to the um, uh, UAP task force replacement. And it's now called ARROW or ARROW. And the proposal in the new legislation is that it will be known as the UAP JPO, the Unidentified Aerospace Undersea, that's new, by the way, Phenomena Joint Program Office. That's important because the fact that they're flagging undersea is a completely new development. And I can tell you, I I know that comes out of the private briefings that have been given to congressmen and senators already. You know, it's interesting because, uh, first of all, a lot of people, most people still favor calling them UFOs. Uh, but then uh, over time, people have suggested we call them UAP for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And now with this legislation, it appears that there's yet another rebranding to be call them Unidentified Aerospace Undersea Phenomena, as you just pointed out. Uh, but I saw people trying to get away with saying that's still UAP because aerospace dash undersea is really just an A. I don't buy it. I think we're going to come to know this stuff as UAUP, undersea, I mean, uh, unidentified aerospace think- undersea phenomena. Or it might be the UAP Joint Project Office. It might. Think- uh, yeah. And by the way, uh, I just wanted, because you and I have had so much fun making fun of uh, AOI-MSG or AIMSOG, as uh, Andre Carson famously said in that May 17th hearing. I just want to remind people, okay, everyone has heard about Blue Book. That went back in, uh, from 52 to 69. And then, of course, when the New York Times started reporting on this, we learned about OSAP, ATIP, and then most recently it became the UAP task force, which for me is still the one that I think is calling it what it is. It was the UAP task force. Uh, The Senate originally tried to call it ASRO. The Department of Defense said, we don't like that so much. They came up with this crazy AOI-MSG. And now we have AARO, which I think is the one that may stick. And if it does, I don't mind that because at least you can pronounce it. You can call it ARO. You can say, this is the ARO task force. Now, Bryce, the thing that I think deserves emphasis is that this proposed new legislation that is still not passed by either the House or the Senate, it's a toughening up because there is clear dissatisfaction from the US political representatives interested in UAPs that the Pentagon and the intelligence community have not been responding with sufficient right. aggression. And it's, it's quite amazing. I mean, I've, uh, th- this is really important. It, one of the things that the bill requires is that within six months of enactment, the Secretary of Defense, the Director of National Intelligence, and the UAP Office Director will establish a core group that will include, at a minimum, representatives with all necessary and appropriate security clearances from the CIA, the NSA, the Department of Energy, the NRO, the National Reconnaissance Office, the Air Force, Space Force, the Defence Intelligence Agency, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. 
it, it also basically requires them, as they've previously been required, and so far as I'm told, haven't done fully, to share their UAP data with the UAP office. And it reiterates that the DNI must produce an annual report on UAP that is to be submitted to Congress in both an unclassified and a classified form. It's also going to tighten the screws, as Dean Johnson points out, by requiring that each head of each element of the intelligence community provide a report on the activities undertaken to support the UAP Joint Project Office, uh, which is really exciting. They're actually making them, by legislation, accountable for whatever they do. I found reading uh, the the proposed language, uh, the thing that started it uh, was a good old fashioned scolding of the Department of Defense, yep. uh, which I found kind of refreshing because it's one thing to say we we are expecting you to do something, and then years go by, and we've seen this happen on other things where you just go, well, whatever happened to that, and it just got left uh, left aside. But clearly, the the authors of this legislation were saying, uh, uh-uh, uh, not this time. We're going to hold you accountable, and you just named all these different um, organizations that have to uh, play in that in that ballpark. Which, by the way, I hope you were reading off a list because if you did it off the top of your head. Uh, that was amazing, and I applaud <laughs> you for it. But but there's, there's going more. to be some talking. Go ahead. Yeah. There's one more, and this is probably the most important. Now, this is in the context of this notorious Admiral Wilson memo, which is the memo that its provenance is obviously held in doubt by some debunkers and skeptics. But this is a memo that suggests that if there is a legacy program, it's not being hidden inside the government. It's being right. hidden inside private aerospace, inside a private contractor somewhere. And that's where this legislation has really brought in new proposed new teeth. Well, I- it, would, it would require a system where former or current government employees and former and current employees of government contractors will be under a statutory shield to, to essentially reveal any appropriate information that's currently protected by classification laws or non-disclosure orders. This includes any event relating to unidentified aerospace or undersea phenomena, and this is the, this is the big one, any government or government contractor activity or program related to unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. I'm going to call that the Admiral Wilson Clause. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I like coining that. Uh, I, I have to tell you, I've been uh, looking into this uh, topic for uh, three decades uh, now, and this makes me a little emotional, this one, because uh, when I read the, uh, the the language, and I here's the thing, for three decades, uh, I've heard about a lot of these concepts, of course, uh, people talk about them, but we kept saying, you know, things to ourselves. It was like talking amongst yourselves and, and the government was silent and officialdom in the media was silent. And now in this language, this language addresses some of the very things that we were saying in private that are now being said out loud. Things like you just said, technology going to private aerospace firms. I mean, people have been saying that for years, but nobody's ever put it in writing from the U.S. government and talking about crashes and technology and biological 
uh, effects and uh, and then witnesses with immunity and whistleblowers and it's just a wonderful moment in the history of where this whole thing may be going and and uh, you know like i said i i'm not going to break down and cry right now but i will if they actually uh get some teeth in this thing and i see some hearings that instead of the may 17th hearing that you and i took to the woodshed uh, a couple of months ago if we actually see hearings with teeth with real witnesses saying real things in public oh my oh my and my friend there is more but we'll have to bring that up next on the next segment of Need to Know. This is real, and we need to pay attention to it, and it's just unscientific to not study it. Yes, amen. Right? I mean, it's just wrong. And if you're going to be that way, you're a priest, you're not a scientist. Stanford professor Gary Nolan, who is almost ubiquitous on the media these days. He did a half-hour interview with Tucker Carlson that that clip just came from. Uh, Nolan is just a big guy to be starting to talk as openly as he seems to be talking. Not only is he a Stanford professor, but he's, uh, he's written like 300 research articles. He's got 40 patents. I mean, he's a, he's a major uh, person. He's received an award from the Department of Defense. The CIA has come to talk to him. I mean, Ross, he's a major guy. He's talking at length. And you, my friend, have talked to him one-on-one. I have, and that will be part of our forthcoming documentary that will appear on Australian television very soon. And we'll be able to use a lot of it in our podcast as well, because he's very, very expensive in what he told me. Uh, I was excited, though, by what he told Tucker, because he talked in a great deal of detail uh, about a lot of things that have been very much in the dark for many years. He, he talked in detail about how he was contacted at Stanford by the CIA. Sounds like something out of a movie, you know, that oh. episode in Arrival, the film where the woman gets approached by the, the men in black who ask her to go away and talk to the aliens. Gary had something similar. He basically had the CIA show up who wanted to, him to investigate the um, the strange ailments that have been contracted by certain military and government employees uh, after they'd come into contact with certain unidentified craft, and that's the word he used, craft. He was chosen by the CIA as the best person to conduct such an investigation because he's got an enormous international reputation as an immunologist with his expertise on blood analysis. And some of the 40 patents that Gary has developed, uh, I mean, the guy is so brilliant. I mean, I, I, I was a privilege. I spent a, a whole day with him at Stanford very recently, and he was walking me around his laboratories and showing me the, uh, the machinery that uh, he's developed. And the thing I love about him is he acknowledges fulsomely that a lot of the work that he does is funded by the US, the federal government. But he loves the idea of giving back. And so a lot of the things that he's developed, the technology that he's developed, he's, he's worked up in collaboration with some of his staff. And he's basically patented that technology. And two of the companies um, that he's uh, floated as a result of developing that technology are now on the NASDAQ. But my favorite quote from the exchange between Tucker and Gary Nolan was, Tucker asked him, you're around people, that's scientists, mm, who right. study this stuff for a living, the most knowledgeable people on this topic in the world. What is their general sense 
of what this might be. He did not shy away from answering that. Go ahead. I'll give it to you. He said that this is not from Earth. Yeah. This is not from Earth. I mean, Gary, Gary used the alien word, basically. I, I, listen, a, a couple of things. Um, I feel it incumbent because people often judge, uh, people have expressed negative opinions simply, uh, who don't agree with Tucker Carlson's politics. And I, I just need to sort of weigh in on that thing. I'm not necessarily a big fan of Tucker Carlson's politics either. However, I am a fan of people who are taking this uh, issue seriously. And Tucker Carlson, for whatever reason, is doing that. And putting uh, Gary Nolan on was a a really beneficial thing. And so I got to say, we got to support people who are doing the right thing at the right time. And I'm happy that he did that. Now, you just mentioned uh, his statement that that this is not of this earth. I I sat there and listened to this thing and I just wrote, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just wrote down some things that just kind of blew my mind. I mean, the way he phrased things, he said, well, these people are hundreds of technology revolutions ahead of us. I just thought that was a, a clever way to put it. Then he did say that thing about not from this earth. And he also went on right after that. And he said, whatever it is, it's clearly been here for a long time. I thought that was revealing. And then he said it raises questions of whose planet is this really? I mean, wow. I mean, that was Mm. shocking. Uh, He he just went on and on. Um, He brought up Trinity, uh, the 1945 case, as a real case. Uh, So basically Trinity, Aztec, Roswell being sort of a triad of crashes. Um, He... You know, and, and I got to give Carlson thing uh, one thing. He says he, he he said it in a way that I thought was interesting. He talked about the edifice of lies starting to crack, and I don't know about you, Ross, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Look, the interesting thing about it was the candor with which a very well respected international scientist, who, by the way, uh, Lou Elizondo let this slip the other day. Gary has been nominated for a Nobel Prize. I mean, this is no lightweight. This is a scientist of international reputation. There are people in cancer research here in Australia who vouched to me about Gary, saying he was hugely well-respected. And the interesting thing is I actually asked him, I said, you know, you're an immunologist, but obviously um, you don't have the broad expertise that would get into the, the, the study of a lot of the issues behind the UAP phenomenon. And he acknowledged that, you know, he's a good scientist. He said, look, I only deal in evidence. I'm interested in data or data or right. however you guys say it over there. And the interesting thing is he, he's very humble in his own way. I, I deeply admire them. But, I, but, I, I got the impression the thing that really interested me was how much his own staff love him. You know, this is a, I this think is that's a guy probably, who's a leader. That's probably true. You've, you've seen it up uh, up close. I mean, he is a, a certainly a, a fascinating guy. And what's interesting is he could just stay in his lane, as they say, and he could just do the biology and the immunology. But he's obviously thought about this a great deal, and he's he's willing to speak more about it. And I thought I thought that was interesting. You talked about what an incredible uh, background he has. I, I just have to put the one thing he said toward the end out there because I thought this is pretty astonishing coming from someone of his merit. He said, and uh, this is the quote I wrote down, the nature of our reality is yet to be completely understood. I mean, holy crap. That's an interesting thing to say on national TV. 
You know, one of the things that I think is a constant theme now of comments from people like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, Gary Nolan, Hal Putoff, Eric Davis, a lot of those people who've who've had the either the NIDS experience or some insights sure. that have come because of their associations with certain certain. You should scientists. you should tell us what tell our audience what NIDS is before we. Oh, the National we... Institute of Discovery Science. Bob right. Bob Bigelow's uh, Robert Bigelow's. Um, uh, in privately funded investigation, essentially into the paranormal and UAPs. But there's a consistency coming through now with the way all of these people talk. The extraterrestrial hypothesis, the, the simple notion that these are little green men from Zeta Reticuli who've bugged across the galaxy in a faster-than-light vehicle doesn't wash. Everyone's now talking about phenomenon that has been here for a very, very long time thousands of years. Gary's made that very, very clear in his interview with Tucker, and he makes it even more clear in his interview with me. There is clearly some insight that is both on planet here, and it's also underwater. And that's why I think the reference in the proposed new legislation before the Congress to undersea phenomena is so important. I mean, this, that connection... This, is, this mystery I, is underwater. It's... It, and in this and in space and in the skies it's it's all over and 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 even what we think we can perceive might possibly not even be the perception of it i mean i was fascinated again by the way he talks uh, uh carlson asked him about abductions and he said well uh he didn't really want to get into that but he thought they were real but maybe they were uh, you know an imposed reality memory i mean he's willing to Talk about things in a, in a way that, that you just don't hear that often. That's interesting. And it's interesting, too, because he tells this amazing story of this uh, French family in a car driving along the road. And the mother and the children have got a, a glass ceiling in the car. And they look up and they see a gigantic craft through the, the window of the, um, the vehicle, the roof of the vehicle. And they take a photograph and they're struck as they're looking that Nobody else in any other cars is looking at what they're looking at. And so clearly, whatever it is, is manipulating their perception. Because when they get the photographs back, and Jacques Vallée has published this particular image, instead of seeing a, a huge craft hovering above their vehicle, what they see is a kind of a star-shaped object, which is quite small, just hovering above their vehicle. And so Gary talks about this, and this is slide nine. This is this um, right. commonly referred to slide that was used in the briefing before the Undersecretary of the Department of Defense that I write about in my book, and you and I have discussed on different podcasts. Whatever this phenomenon is, the mystery of this phenomenon resides in the fact that it is capable of manipulating human consciousness and human perception. Maybe what the UFOs are, maybe what the UAPs are, is not what we think they are. Maybe whatever it is, they are manipulating our perception of them. Listen, you, ha you have to accept that that is a very legitimate way to look at it and because that does it that is one of the few things that answers all the facts however we do get to the place and i don't think you and i have actually spoken in depth about this i don't think it means we have to throw the extraterrestrial part of any theory out i mean th there's no law that says multiple things can't be true at once 
And uh, I'm still, even though I agree with everything you just said and what, what Nolan is saying, part of me still says there's an ET aspect to this thing. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, I, I'm just if not sure was. how they all play together. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there was, but I'm struck by both in the private and the public conversations that I'm having with people on the inside sure. and that also people are saying publicly, uh, people like Professor Nolan, there is increasingly a, a reference to the fact that to understand this phenomenon, we need to understand that whatever it is, it's capable of manipulating human perception. And it would also explain why going back over history, and you and I have covered this in previous podcasts, mm -hmm. why going back over history, people have seen different things. You know, yeah. back in Roman days, they saw flaming shields. In the right. book of Ezekiel in the Bible, they saw spinning flaming wheels. In the 19th century in the US, they saw airships, flying airships, ships in the sky. And, and even throughout the 20th century, what humans are saying that they've seen has changed. Oh. You know, at the moment, there's this kind of black triangle phenomenon, discs, elliptical discs. But previously, it was very much the Foo Fighter phenomenon during the Second World sure. War, just sort of flaming orbs. I, I mean, very true. I mean, you go from Foo Fighters to ghost rockets to flying saucers. But the thing about it, it all of what you just said, so stipulated. But even in the modern UFO age, there are periods where different things are seen, as you you, you were intimating. The first period, if you look at the so-called photos and descriptions from the 50s, even though they do cover the gamut, a lot of them are those kind of you know, weird-looking things that people said, well, that's just a hubcap or whatever. They were kind of low tech and they weren't lit. And then they, they transformed into a period where we got the close encounter kind of craft, uh, from, uh, Spielberg's film. And now, of course, as you said, we're getting, we're getting Tic Tacs and we're getting, uh, black triangles. Uh, what would explain that? Well, I guess you could say we're, we're being, we got a lot of company and they're all, you know, we don't all drive Mercedes Benzes. Some of us drive, uh, Nissans. So maybe whoever's visiting does that. Or you could say, what, what you just said, there is a consciousness aspect to this thing that is beginning to reveal itself. And frankly, from my point of view, if it's about consciousness and there's any kind of nefarious part to it or dangerous part to that consciousness, which there obviously is, then you'd have to say that would explain why no U.S. president, for example, ever wanted to go to the Oval Office and say, OK, folks, let me let me try to explain this to you. It's, it's about consciousness, but, but it's more than conscious. I mean, no president's <laughs> going to do that then or now. So uh, what I think is happening in Congress is preparing the battlefield, if you will, for an increasingly uh, sophisticated and high-level group of people to start talking in different terms about the phenomenon. And that will uh, allow people to speak more openly about it in the public forum. And I, I agree with you, by the way, too, Bryce, about the fact that the extraterrestrial phenomenon, the notion of um, off-planet life forms, right. may well explain part of this phenomenon, and not least because of cases like the Betty and Barney Hill case that I know you have some high degree of expertise in, and I understand you also got There's some a, news on that matter. I do have a little bit of news, and it's not it's not what I would consider great news. Um, 
uh, as you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a buff. Uh, I hate the word buff. I'm, I'm interested in the Betty and Barney Hill case. I've investigated it. Uh, I have a, a Kathy Martin and Stan Friedman's book captured under option for a dramatic television series. So I'm into it. And I did a lot of research while I was writing the pilot for that particular project. And one of the things uh, that I found out was that it wasn't John Fuller who wrote The Interrupted Journey who really broke the story in a big way. It was an investigative reporter named John Luttrell who did it the year earlier. And um, and also, um, uh, there's also been a lot of talk that somehow Betty and Barney were not being public with their story until uh, you know, until uh, the, the whole thing blew up on them. And, and that and that it was the reporter that did this. And, and the truth is, that's not true. And there's a sign in New Hampshire to mark the Betty and Barney Hill case that says these two things. It says they were not public with their story, and the story was leaked by the Boston uh, Traveler. Well, obviously, journalists don't leak stories. People leak them to us. So I wrote the New Hampshire department that was in charge of that sign and said, I think your sign has two fact errors in it. And they agreed with me. And we talked about this, I think, on our first our first or second podcast. And they said, we're going to change that sign. So I just heard from a journalist who was writing an article uh, for New Hampshire magazine. And uh, I said, you should really call these people and find out when they're changing that sign. And he did. And because of budget cuts and pandemic and things like that, they said, it's probably still five years out. So uh, I don't okay. know, uh, but, but it was interesting. And, you know, I know we got to wrap this one up. I just want, here's a, here's a way to get into our next um, segment. When I hear Gary Nolan speak, um, I find him, and I don't mean this in a, I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm just saying, I wondered when I heard him, is Gary Nolan the new Lou Elizondo? And by that, I simply mean that Lou Elizondo has been so ubiquitous talking about this, that he's almost overexposed. Uh, certainly in the podcast world, he's overexposed. And, and on TV, he's been the one go-to guy. I think it's time for some other voices to come forward. And I think the Gary Nolan voice is an example of what we're now going to start seeing more and more. And some of those people, as you, you know, to tie, tie it back to the beginning, are going to be testifying and we're going to be hearing from those people. I, I agree with you, Bryce. And, and clearly what lies behind all of this is the issue of what are the implications of disclosure? What are the implications of what comes out of this? Imagine if out of this Senate congressional inquiry, a truth emerges about a non-human intelligence of advanced technology that's been on this planet for many, many thousands of years. That's what we're exploring next on Need to Know. Hello and welcome back to Need to Know. Now, we've been exploring in this week's podcast the implications of the proposed legislation that's coming up before the Congress, which, if enacted, is momentous in its implications. It suggests very strongly, and this is what my sources have told me in my little foray in Washington and my little road trip with Bryce, it suggests very strongly that there may very well be soon whistleblowers coming forward before the US Congress, at least in private hearing and perhaps also in public hearings, to reveal a lot that we don't know about the UAP issue. 
perhaps it might have something to do with a non-human intelligence that's been on this planet for some considerable time. Now, what are the implications of that? Now, fortuitously, serendipitously, my colleague Bryce Zabel has written a book with Richard Dolan, another respected podcaster and UAP researcher, called After Disclosure. And Bryce, what are the implications? Oh, what what happens? What happens if if somebody comes up in Congress and admits for the first time what a lot of people are hinting at? And I know the debunkers scoff, but we are now in uncharted territory. We're now in territory where officials, uh, insiders like Gary Nolan are using the A word, the alien word. They're suggesting very, very strongly that the best explanation for what we're seeing here is possibly a non-human, highly advanced intelligence. What is the implication from that? Well, I prefer not the A word, but the D word. And by D word, I'm talking disclosure. Uh, It's something I've been thinking about all my career. Uh, The first film I ever wrote was called Official Denial, and it was on Sci-Fi Channel. And it was literally about the concept of uh, the story focused around disclosure. What would disclosure mean? Well, what is disclosure? In the context of UAP, disclosure is when the majority of the world or most people on the world accept that we're not alone and that some form of interaction between humans and a a non-human intelligence uh, is happening. And, uh, you know, I used to think that would be a long time in coming. That's why I built the Dark Skies TV series around it. I had a head of Majestic 12 whose position was the people can't handle the truth. And the guy working for him said the people have a right to know, which is the essence of the disclosure argument. And so, um, uh, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, Rich Dolan and I uh, wrote a book called AD After Disclosure because I, I felt like there's been about 5,000 books written about UFOs, all sort of trying to prove that they're real. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to write a book where instead of proving they're real, you assume that they're real and you talk about how the world is going to change once we all buy into that. Can I just Go stop ahead. you for a moment? Let, yeah. let, let's. I want to know what you think personally. Do you think the evidence is in? Are you convinced on the data? I'm not asking for your belief. Right. I'm asking you for your your knowledge on the data. Do you think we're in a position now to be able to say with any confidence that there is a non-human intelligence on this planet? Well, if you're talking about data that I personally have access to or um, the average UFO UAP researcher has access to, maybe not yet at that level. That's a very high threshold. Um, But do I think that data exists? Of course I do. Uh, That's why the senators we talked about earlier are running around like their hair's on fire, because they have seen beyond data, they have seen video that's HD, uh, that's more than a few seconds, and they've seen craft, and they've heard stories from good sources about not just, uh, as George Knapp said, not just crash wreckage, but actual craft and bodies. So yeah, I think that that data because I think a body, a body laying in a, in a warehouse is data to me. It's not data doesn't have to be something always that I measure off a, a radar or something. So yeah, I think it exists anyway. So I, I, I think that it does exist, but I don't think it's available to us yet to where we can say disclosure has happened. I know some people like to say, well, disclosures already happened. Not really. The government has admitted that UAP is real and that we probably don't make it and neither does Russia or China, but that's different than 
tossing out the word non-human intelligence. Um, but to answer your, your larger question, I think that there are going to be some severe changes. I always, you know, Ross, I don't know. Have you got, have you seen uh, Dr. Strangelove in your film history? Okay. Love it. It's a uh, great film. George C. Scott uh, plays General Buck Turgidson, and he's talking to the president in that movie. And he says, um, he's talking about uh, what's going to happen if we have a nuclear war. And I think it's very analogous to what would happen after disclosure. Uh, Buck Turgidson, the general, says to the president, in case of nuclear war, he goes, I ain't saying we're not going to get our hair must. All right. And, and I think that ready or not, here comes disclosure. We're going to have to deal with it. And our hair is going to be must. And we're going to probably go hoard toilet paper again and many other things that we've done in the but past. But do you think there will be the panic? I mean, one of the big excuses that I've heard from some insiders about why this has been kept secret for so long, if it's true, Right. If there is a non-human intelligence on this planet, it, the big excuse is that the public can't handle the truth. Well, that I mean, okay, there that goes back global, global mass panic. Yeah, and that goes back to uh, Orson Welles doing the War of the Worlds broadcast in 1938, thinking that some people believed it was real and were panicking. The answer to your question, I think, is going to be some people will panic and some people will not panic, sort of like how they respond to virtually everything. The question is. Um, how much panic does it take before you get disruption? So let's say that after disclosure, so many people are glued to their television sets watching what, what is being said about this, that about 10% of the workforce or 20% of the workforce doesn't show up for work for a week or 10 days. All right. Well, some of that 10 or 20% are going to drive gasoline trucks and they're not going to make their deliveries. And some people aren't going to get gas. And then those people are going to say, oh my God, supply chain because of the aliens. And then, yeah, there'll be some trouble. But I, I think disclosure is um, something that you can look at very closely over a short-term period and say, I don't know that I'd call it panic, but I would call disruption, massive interest. But then I think we're going to enter a period where we're going to watch society reform itself around this reality that we're not alone. And by that, I mean, we're going to hear about the government. The government's going to change. Medicine's going to change. Politics is going to change. Um, you know, space exploration is going to change. The military is going to change. The law is going to change. I mean, you remember after 9-11, we said, well, everything's going to change. And of course, it didn't really all change after 9-11. I believe after disclosure, it all really will change. Now, the implications of this, uh, we know already there are admissions on the record in the Congress from the Pentagon. Sure. We know already that there are objects, some people say craft, i.e. intelligently controlled vehicles, doing things that are way beyond known human physics. And the implications of those so-called five observables are that someone or something, some entity, is getting energy in a way that we don't get energy. That's right. got implications for our fossil fuel industry. So that's one hit. The other one is um, positive lift. You know, we're talking sure. about anti-gravity. Clearly, whatever this technology is, if it's real, something is displaying in those five observables positive lift, anti-gravity, a, a type of propulsion system far beyond known human science. 
What's the impact of particularly the energy, the free energy capability, the unlimited amounts of energy that clearly must be being harnessed by these vehicles, if indeed they are vehicles? Many people think that is the crux of the biscuit and why it's been held secret for so long. Because one thing we can pre- pretty well be sure of, whether we're talking about Tic Tacs or, or you know, any of these craft that have been seen doing any of the five observables, is that they're not flying around on gasoline, right? They're not, they're not filling up at the local uh, shell station uh, before they go out and do their maneuvers, which means there's an entirely different energy source that is available to whoever is operating the, these craft. The, the thing is, we know for a fact that there is something displaying this, this capability. We don't right. know who it is. This is the mystery. We don't know who it is, but clearly something, someone, well, some entity but- is displaying this capability. And Precisely. And that's, that's the issue. That is the issue, but it, it, but but that is also why we don't have full on full D disclosure, because acknowledging that somebody is flying these craft out there is one thing, but that is not disclosure of who they are, right? Sure. So we, we're still not there to the we are not alone disclosure. We have we have inched up and put our toe in the water to where we're willing to say there are craft that are doing things we're not aware of and we don't know who's making them. But, uh, but it's still an open uh, question, at least from the government spokespeople, that somebody human could be making these things, which I would argue still would be a radically transformative thing to find out about uh, in in the near future, and and it would obviously involve a lot of humans lying about things, and so well, look, as uh, you and I have said repeatedly, I, I certainly hope it's a human technology. I mean, I hope that the United States has developed this in the black, and that we're sitting on positive lift vehicles that are capable of anti gravity and incredible energy resources. I, I because- just don't think we are, though. I, I just no. it just doesn't square with what I've been told, and and frankly, what you've been told, and. And what the people, the, you know, the most authoritative people who have been studying this and commenting on it are people who just don't believe that. I, you know, from if, if you take the Gary Nolans and, and, and people who have uh, are now outspoken about this, I don't think any of them are really buying into, yeah, it's China or Russia that did it because they know full well that this has been a phenomenon at least since the 40s when China and Russia weren't, weren't doing it. And I don't think... Um, Many people think we're capable of doing that right now, because if we were, we would certainly be employing more aspects of that technology and our own military defense. So uh, I, I don't buy it. I think it is somebody else. Um, I don't know that it's E.T., but I do think it's probably a non-human intelligence. Big question, Bryce, and probably the final question, because we've got to keep this segment yeah. short. Can we handle the truth? I think that is the essence. It's, I, I wrote an entire television series on that very topic. I've obsessed about it my entire career. I've I talk to people about it constantly. I remember the first time you and I met on a Zoom. That was one of the issues that we were kicking around. And um, I, I, I guess where I come down on it is um, I hope so. I hope we can handle the truth. I'm an optimist. I believe we probably can at the end of the day, handle the truth. Uh, I know that this is going to be a radical transformation that uh, will 
be in the history books forever. It will completely change our world. And uh, I, I, you know, I hope that we can get through that transition. Um, one of the reasons that Richard Dolan and I called our book AD After Disclosure, the AD for us was more than after disclosure. We were trying to say, look, we were in a BC world, a before confirmation world, and we were transitioning to a after disclosure world. And I, I think that, that that's the, the issue there. Um, we are going to, we are now living in the beginning stages of that transformation. And uh, right now, most people don't pay too much attention to it. The people who do pay attention to it openly ask that question. So I, I, I want to end by just answering your question. Can we handle the truth? We better. I think we can. I think we will. I think like Buck Turgidson, we're going to get our hair messed uh, up a little bit on this thing. Um, but I, I really think at this point in history, there's not a lot we can do to stuff this one back in the bag. Uh, it's, it's on its way out for all the reasons that we've spoken about uh, in the 17 podcasts prior to this one and at the beginning of this one, which is for reasons that will historians are going to have to figure out later, there is a change afoot. And a Congress, for example, and, and, and the scientists, uh, as another example, who have been able to put this aside and either ridicule it or ignore it all these years, that's changing. Scientists are starting to study it, and uh, our representatives are starting to demand answers. And uh, I don't think it, it's up to only scientists and politicians. It's up to people like you and me and the rest of the media and people, uh, average people who are, I guess, listening at this point right now. We all have a role in what future we want to build out of this. I think in closing, Bryce, I'm going to refer to a wonderful speech that your President Reagan gave to the United mm. Nations where he talked about what would bring the world together. And he talked candidly, and I suspect it was done with a degree of informed information from the inside. He talked candidly about how he thought that what would bring the world together more than anything else was the realisation that we are not alone in this universe, that there is indeed another intelligence out there. So I'd like to leave on a sense of optimism. Do you agree? That, that indeed there might be the one thing that could bring us all together is the realization that we are not alone. Well, I'm going to I'm going to end on your optimism, but I'm going to uh, call back to your Ronald Reagan. Um, yeah, Ronald Reagan, remember, saw a UFO in 1974 and chased it with his plane that he was in. Um, so he he knew firsthand that it was was real. But I, I here's how I would uh, put it: Reagan was famous in his negotiations with the Soviet Union for the phrase "trust but verify." Well, so I, I almost think that is relevant to the optimism idea. We need to be optimistic. We need to trust. But at the same time, we have to have our eyes wide open. We have to study this as intensively as anything's ever been discussed or studied before. And we all have to come together as quickly as we can, which might mean that the ultimate disclosure of, of, of a UAP reality from a non-human intelligence may be the one thing that puts human beings on the same side of the equation and, and starts to end some of this, this terrible division that we've had. And on that note, I think we come to the end of this edition of Need to Know, but I like the fact that we're ending on optimism. Thanks, Bryce. We'll see you all next time. 